0: A lot goes on behind the scenes here. By the way, do you like the cold? <laughs> I think we're going to have to call for a show of hands. And, and David, would you count, please? How many of you like the cold? How many of you don't? Uh, we don't even need to count. Oh, well. Never mind, David. We got that. And John's waving his arms back there. Uh, I love it. My, my two youngest sons are out in the woods, uh, Camp Winder. And uh, they sent me a little video to Sandy and I, to the family last night, sitting in front of the little uh, fire, you know, warming themselves. It was pretty cold last night, so. But uh, anyway, they love to camp, they love the outdoors. But I like the cold, because I grew up in Florida, and I have sweat a river my whole life, okay? So that's why I like it when it gets cool every now and then. I enjoy that. Um, But we do have a lot that goes on behind the scenes. I just thought I would say this, not that it has anything to do with Luke, or uh, anything. But um, the band, like Dave said, did a great job this morning. Um, they did a great job this morning in the midst of adversity. <laughs> Last night I got a call from Jeffrey. He was sick. He wasn't going to make it. He was supposed to be up here. And then um, this morning the person who's running sound was sick. <laughs> and so Ron, who was supposed to be playing bass, is running sound. So let's say thank you, Ron. Let's say. But even in the midst of all of that, we worship, didn't we? And you know, worship is something that comes from the heart, something that we that we do and we offer up to God. And so I'm, I'm grateful um, to them. So thank you all so very much. Uh, this morning, we're launching into our first series of the year, 2023. And uh, it's a study in Luke, in the Life and Teachings, of Jesus. Now, if you've been going to Good News Church for any length of time, oh, wait a second, wait a second, I forgot to mention something. The baby bottle boomerang, did Dave did mention that? Did I miss it? Okay, that's going to be happening next week, I believe. They'll be bringing the bottles, okay? And so that's celebrating the Women's uh, Care Center, and also we have a new member class after after church for those who signed up. We have sandwiches for you. So if you signed up, please be there. Otherwise, I will have to eat your sandwich. But um, one of the things about about my preaching, if you've been here for any amount of time, I have different styles. I don't have any one sort of style. Sometimes I'll start with a topical one, like when we do the song series, you know? And I'll start with the topic, and then I move to the scripture. Sometimes I start with the scripture. Sometimes like last week, I used three different scriptures on three very important things that I felt that we needed to know as a church. It was my preamble for this week. But there's something called expository preaching. Charles Spurgeon was a great expository preacher. And what you do then is every time you start with the text, you know, and and you're not deciding where you're gonna go with it, but the text leads you, okay? The text leads you. And that's what I'm going to be doing with the Gospel of Luke. I'm not going to be, you know, just giving you my opinions and my interpretations. I'm going to try and take Luke and accurately pull from it. It's called the word in, fancy word in seminaries, exegesis, to pull out of the text the meaning for us. And that's the style of preaching that I'm going to use here for the next several, whenever, we don't know how many weeks, for the Gospel of Luke. We will be taking, just so you know, some breaks there in between. We'll break from Luke and do something a little bit different, but pretty much, you know, I'm going to stick with Luke (laughs) for a long time, but I'm excited about it. I've never preached through the gospel of Luke. Never. Uh, most recently I taught through the gospel of John. That was a great learning experience for me. Um, I learned a lot. All of all four gospels are about the life and teachings of Jesus. They're all about that, but they are also unique and different in their own ways as different as the apostles who wrote them, not necessarily in content, but some and in style and the way that they communicate. Um, It's Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John giving their own account, you know, their own account of the greatest story ever told. You know, Jesus Christ, the son of God and the son of man. Uh, It's kind of funny, uh, when you ask some people if they can name the 12 disciples, even church-going folk do this all the time. I, I just think it's funny. They say, well, I don't know all of them, but I know Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, right? So they name those off. Well, you know that, that Matthew and John actually were the only ones who were the 12 disciples, part of the 12 disciples. Mark is not a disciple, and neither is Luke, right? Mark was an associate and a co-worker who spent time with Peter and Paul and the other apostles. Luke was also a close comrade and partner in the gospel who knew all the apostles. He traveled extensively with Paul. He was actually with Paul in Rome before he was executed. Luke was with Paul in Rome. In fact, in Paul's letter to Timothy, from his imprisonment, he writes from his imprisonment in Rome, 2 Timothy 4.11, he says, only Luke is with me. Pick up Mark and bring him with you, for he is useful for service to me. It's amazing to me how casual and personal that is. Paul writing from prison to Timothy. It sounds almost like a text that my wife would send me on a Thursday afternoon John, would you mind swinging by Publix and picking up some eggs and some butter? <laughs> you know, that's almost what it sounds like. Paul was obviously close. To Timothy and knew Luke and Mark very well. They were co-workers who traveled together in the cause of Christ and in the cause of spreading the good news. Before the Gospel of Luke was called the Gospel of Luke, it was known as kata katalukon. I think it, there it is. Now that's a transliteration, uh, but that's a transliteration of the Greek. kata Katalukon. Uh, in my Greek New Testament, which i meant to leave out here for if you wanted to come and leave through it. All the gospels in the early Greek um, manuscripts were referred to in this way, katamatheon for Matthew, kata Markon, obvious, kata, kata Lucan and katoioane, which is according to John. It means, this is my account. This is my account. It's according to me, the life and teachings of Jesus. Luke was a physician, and he wrote with the compassion and warmth of a family doctor as he carefully documented the life and teachings of Jesus, the Son of Man, Son of God. In Colossians chapter 4, verse 14, Paul referred to him as Luke, the beloved physician. Luke, the beloved physician. Uh, we learned quite a lot about Luke in my series on the book of Acts, and we will learn more in this series. I may even repeat myself a few times, and that's okay. It's to be expected, actually, since Luke's gospel and the book of Acts were both written by Luke, right? They're both written by Luke. Um, It's a two-volume set. Volume one is the gospel of Luke. The gospel is the life and teachings of Jesus, kata luka, kata luka, which means according to Luke. Volume two is the Acts of the Apostle. It was initially called just simply praxis. That's a Greek word, praxis, which means exploits or things done. So the book of Acts is praxis. It's about what the apostles did, what they did, their exploits. Uh, There are many reasons that we know that both Luke and Acts were written by Luke. There's historical evidence, the early church fathers, Clement, Tertullian, and all of those, okay? But the most obvious clue is how they begin. It's how they begin. They um, are both written to a person called Theophilus. Theophilus, which is a Greek name meaning lover of God or friend of God, okay? Okay. Um, Listen as I read the first four verses of Luke and then the first three verses of the book of Acts, just to sort of give you an idea of what I'm talking about. This is how Luke begins. Inasmuch as many have undertaken to compile an account of the things accomplished among us, just as they were handed down to us by those who from the beginning were eyewitnesses and servants of the word. It seemed fitting to me as well, having investigated everything carefully. Does he sound like a doctor? Oh, yes everything carefully from the beginning to write it down for you in consecutive order, most excellent Theophilus, so that you may know the exact truth about the things you have been taught. And then the book of Acts, the first three verses. The first account I composed, Theophilus, about, there's Theophilus, there you go. Theophilus, about all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day that he was taken up into heaven after he had by the Holy Spirit given orders to the apostles whom he had chosen. To these, the apostles, he also presented himself alive after his suffering by many convincing proofs, appearing to them over a period of 40 days and speaking of the things concerning the kingdom of God. So you you see what I mean. It's not hard to see it. And in Acts chapter one, in the very first verse, he refers to volume one. That's a clue, right? Hebrews says, the first account I composed, Theophilus, about all that Jesus began to do and teach. And that is the gospel according to Luke. That's what it's about. It's about all that Jesus, all the things that he began to do and teach, the life and teachings of Jesus Christ, hence what the name I put on this series. Luke can be divided into four sections, if you're taking notes, roughly four sections. Number one, the introduction of the Son of Man. Number two, the ministry of the Son of Man, and I've got the scripture references up there if you wanna write them down. Number three, the rejection of the Son of Man. And number four, the crucifixion and resurrection of the Son of Man. Um, I'm gonna give you some more background on Ruth as we roll through this series, but for now, Let's start with the text, the very first part of Luke. I'm going to read once again, I want you to pay close attention, the first four verses of Luke. He says, inasmuch as many have undertaken to compile an account of things accomplished among us, just as they were handed down to us by those who from the beginning were eyewitnesses, remember that the servants of the word, it seemed fitting for me as well, having investigated everything carefully from the beginning to write it down for you in consecutive order, most excellent, what? Theophilus. So that you may, what? Know the exact truth about the things that have been taught. Would you pray with me? Lord Jesus, I thank you that we're gathered here because of you but also because of each other, also because we want to learn, also because we want to grow, also because we want to be faithful. We gather and we worship. It's actually the very least thing that we can do to acknowledge our trust and our faith in you, as in in what last week, not forsaking our assembling together, but gathering together and learning and growing and loving you, loving each other, and loving those who don't know you. I pray, Lord, that by the power of your Holy Spirit you would give us ears to hear what you are saying to us today, in your name Jesus, and all God's people said. Amen. Amen. So verse one tells us that many had tried to record their own accounts of what Jesus had done. In verse two, Luke has in verse two, okay, Luke has obviously seen these accounts, probably read them, Okay? that were handed down, he said, by those who from the beginning were what? Eyewitnesses and servant of the word. That means they were first-hand, first-person witnesses. And he's probably referring to Peter like Peter, James, and John, and the like. The disciples and the others that knew Jesus personally. People who were with Jesus through his earthly ministry his life, his death, his resurrection. Oh, and after that, he talked to the people who saw Jesus alive who were witnesses to the resurrection, eyewitnesses. Luke is not that. I want you to know Luke is not that, okay? As far as we know, he became a believer later. Sometime after Pentecost, Possibly through the ministry, very probably through the ministry of Peter and Paul, you know, because of their ministry to the Gentiles. It is likely that he was a Gentile convert. In Colossians 4, Paul mentions three people who were, what he says, were part of the circumcision, which means they were what? They were Jewish, right? And then names Luke along with two other Gentiles converts he groups Luke with the gentile converts so conceivably Luke was a gentile which would make him the only non-Jewish writer to contribute to the New Testament that's, that's pretty distinctive right okay in verse 3 he writes he writes this let me read verse 3 again it says it seemed fitting for me as well having investigated everything carefully from the beginning to write it down Write it out for you in consecutive order, most excellent Theophilus. We already know from our study of Acts that Luke was meticulous when he records situational facts and happenings. We saw that in Acts. And not only meticulous, but Luke is eloquent. (laughs) I'm rarely referred to as eloquent. But Luke was eloquent, and he had a very strong command of the Greek language. He wrote beautiful Greek. For people who are students of Greek, some of the, some of the um, manuscripts of other Gospels and things, the, the, the Greek is very simplistic, not Luke. He had a strong command of the Greek language. It says, so it seemed fitting, this is why I think it seemed fitting for him as well, having investigated everything carefully from the beginning to write it down for you in consecutive order, most excellent Theophilus. Luke is an educated man, a physician with excellent language skills. And so he felt called, I believe he felt called to do this, to write about the life and teachings of Jesus, as well as Acts. So he read and investigated everything, handed down from the beginning, probably interviewed those firsthand witnesses, like I said, Peter, James, John, to get the truth, okay, the truth about Jesus straight from the horse's mouth. Or at least the disciples' mouths, right? He wanted to get the truth straight from the disciples' mouths. And Luke, being Luke, okay, because Luke is very meticulous, okay, he wrote it down in consecutive order for Theophilus. And verse 4 tells us why. Verse 4 tells us why. So that you may know the exact truth about the things you have been taught. Now that what he says there, that you have been taught. So it would seem that Theophilus was not just anybody. Theophilus was a Christian who had been taught, who had been told the faith. So as we begin this series and study our way through Luke, I want you to see yourselves in the shoes of Theophilus, okay? Because when you think about it, we are in the shoes of Theophilus, right? We have been Told, right? We're very similar. We've been told the faith. We have been taught the faith. Some of us were brought up in church. Most of us are Christians. Some people here aren't Christians. I hope there are some people here who are not Christians. I I would be happy for that. But most of us here are, okay? And so um, we all have different levels of knowledge about the life and teachings of Jesus. And here comes Luke, who has investigated and interviewed and researched the life and teachings of Jesus. Listen, learning from those who learned from Jesus. That's important. Luke wasn't one of them, but he was learning from those, Paul, Peter, James, John, who learned from Jesus. Why? He already told us. So that you may know the exact truth about the things that, have been, that you have been taught. That's pretty cool. We are sort of modern day people in the shoes of Theophilus, friends of God, amen? So moving on, right off the bat in verse five, Luke does what the other gospel writers do. He does what they do. He introduces John the Baptist as the first and main witness to Jesus being from God, the Son of God. All the writers do that. All four gospel writers do that. But in the same breath, I want to say that Luke does that in a way that none of the other gospel writers do. They all start with John, not Luke. Luke starts with the parents of John, with the conception of John, and with the birth of John the Baptist. Not just the birth of Jesus, the birth of John the Baptist. And his birth, much like the birth of Jesus, was a miraculous birth. Jesus was born of a what? A virgin. That's miraculous, right? Well, John's was also. John the Baptist was born of parents of advanced years, which means they were what? Old, right? And Elizabeth, his mother, was barren. So it sounds like this a little bit like the story of Abraham and Sarah, right? Which was a miraculous birth because Isaac was special. So it's very similar to that. There's another parallel in the birth of John and Jesus. They were preceded, they were both preceded and foretold by angelic visitations, right? To Zacharias, John's father, and to Mary, Jesus' mother, both angels visited them. In Matthew, Matthew's gospel, Joseph also receives a message from an angel, but it's in a dream. So listen for all of that. I want you to listen for those things as I read and comment on verses five through 24. So if you've got your Bibles, we're gonna start at verse five and go through verse 25. In the days of Herod, the king of Judea, there was a priest named Zacharias. So he was a priest of the division of Abijah and his wife from the daughters of Aaron, which is also a priestly line, and her name was Elizabeth. They were both righteous in the sight of God, walking blamelessly in all the commandments of the Lord. So they were very devout Jews, very devout Jews. But they had no child because Elizabeth was barren, and they were both advanced in years. Now, it happened That while he was performing his priestly service before God in the appointed order of of his division, according to the, Luke is very meticulous, right? According to the custom of the priestly office, he was chosen by lots, which means kind of like drew straws, to enter the temple of the Lord and burn incense. The whole multitude of the people were in prayer outside at the hour of the incense burning. While he's burning the incense, And an angel of the Lord appeared to him, standing right to the right of the altar of incense. And Zacharias was troubled when he saw the angel, and fear gripped him, right? Now, I don't know what an angel looks like. Do you know what an angel looks like? I I think of It's a Wonderful Life and Harold. No, no, probably not. No, that wouldn't scare, Harold wouldn't scare me, okay? So this angel was probably rather impressive, right? Probably rather impressive. And obviously, kind of scary. I know when I'm down here at night, and I think I'm by myself, and all of a sudden I hear somebody walking around outside my door. I'm not gripped with fear, but I'm concerned, right? I'm concerned. Zacharias is gripped with fear. But the angel said to him, do not be afraid, Zacharias, which is normally what angels say to people that they appear to, right? Because there's something scary about them, I guess. Very impressive individuals. I don't know about scary, but very impressive individuals. He says this, do not be afraid, Zacharias, for your petition has been heard and your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son and you will give him the name John. Don't forget that. Remember that. We're going to get to it. You will have joy and gladness and many will rejoice at his birth for he will be great in the sight of the Lord and he will drink no wine or liquor and he will be filled with the Holy Spirit while yet in his mother's womb. And he will turn many of the sons of Israel's back to the Lord. And it is he, this is important, listen, he who will go as a forerunner before him, speaking of Jesus, in the spirit of Elijah to turn the hearts of the fathers back to children and to the disobedient, to the attitude of the righteous, so as to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. Zacharias said to the angel, How will I know this? For certain, for I am an old man, And my wife is advanced in years. Now, here's a message for the the, the gentleman in the group. Never refer to your wife as old. We can learn from Zacharias. What does he do? Oh, she's of advanced years. Isn't that nice? So if you're ever looking at me and you say, yeah, Pastor John is really old, I would prefer you say, Pastor John is of advanced years. Okay? just a brief aside. I would like appreciate that. The angel answered and said to him, okay, now basically what that shows there is Zacharias, he's he's like not believing it. He's like, no, this can't be. The angel said, your prayers are going to be answered. He said, no. And so Gabriel actually sort of takes issue with this. I think he's a little bit taken back. The angel answered and said to him, but I'm Gabriel, Right. I am Gabriel, who stands in the presence of God. I'm not just anybody, right? And I have been sent to speak to you and to bring you this good news. And behold, you, because of your unbelief, right? you shall be silent, unable to speak, until the day when these things take place. Because you, what? Did not believe my words, which will be fulfilled in their proper time. The people were waiting for Zacharias, and they were wondering uh, at his delay in the temple. Now, how long can it take, right, to burn incense? What's he doing in there? When he came out, he was unable to speak to them, and they realized that he had seen a visitation in the temple, and he kept making signs to them and remained mute. So he's doing charades, right? Right? Because he can't talk. Like Don Knotts, you know, and the, the ghost and Mr. Mrs. Chicken or whatever. So he's doing this, he's trying to tell him what happened. Uh, when the days of his priestly service had ended, he went back home, he went back home. And these days, after these days, Elizabeth, his wife, became pregnant. Okay, hey, the prayers are answered. And she kept herself in seclusion for five months. So she pretty much stayed to herself. I don't know why, it doesn't say, but she, she just kind of stayed back. She didn't go out, didn't do much. Okay. And she said, and this is Elizabeth, she said, this is the way the Lord has dealt with me in the days when he looked with favor upon me to take away my disgrace among men. So it's a miraculous birth, wouldn't you say? It's a miraculous birth, okay? Um, The angel appears to Zacharias in the temple. The angel gives him the good news, tells him how great John will be and what good things he will do as a prophet. But Zacharias doubts the good news. He doubts it. He said, "We're old. Elizabeth is barren." You know, so Gabriel calls him out. He loses his ability to speak. But Elizabeth is blessed and conceives John, who will pave the way for Jesus, the Messiah, the Messiah. Listen again to verse 17 which I, I I dwelt on for a little while. It says, "It is he who will go before be as a forerunner," right? So he's talking about John. "It is he who will go as a forerunner before him speaking of Jesus in the spirit and power of Elijah." Very important. To turn the hearts of the fathers back to the children and The disobedient to the attitude of the righteous, so as to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. This is important for Luke to include because he has, listen, investigated everything carefully, including the Old Testament and the Old Testament passages and prophecies. According to the Old Testament prophecies, Elijah will precede the Messiah. John the Baptist is that. John the Baptist is that Elijah figure filled with the spirit of Elijah so that Luke is establishing that right here at the beginning of his gospel because every Jew would know that. You See what I'm saying? So he makes sure that is in his account. He's very careful about it, very meticulous. He's doing it in consecutive order to hopefully lead people to Christ. In this next section, verses 26 through 38, chapter 1, Gabriel appears again, but this time to who? Mary, Mary, Um, we just heard one of our families, I'm not sure which family it was, read this passage during the Advent season. It's a very famous passage. We always hear it at Christmas. Just as a brief aside, just so you know, (laughs) I didn't plan the series this way, okay? Originally, my plan was I was gonna start this series during Christmas, which makes perfect sense, right? It's very logical, makes perfect sense. Um, Because the first three chapters of Luke are about the birth of John the Baptist, the birth of Jesus, and Jesus' early years. But as you know, something happened, right? I mean, can we talk here? Something happened. I was diagnosed with a problem, medical problem requiring surgery, so my plans changed. My plans changed. So here we are, in the middle of January, reading the Christmas narratives from Luke, like it's Christmas. And you're probably thinking, Didn't we just do this, right? And yes, we did. Oh, the best laid plans of mice and men. It reminded me of Proverbs chapter 16, verse nine. It says, the mind of man plans his way, but the Lord directs his steps. God knew my plans, but God also knew something I didn't know, right? He knew my plans, so he's directed my path. So here we go, and here we are in January with Luke. But now let's get back. That's my brief aside, no extra charge for that. Back to Luke and Mary. Gabriel appears again, but to Mary with more good news about what God is doing. And what is God doing? The Messiah. The Messiah. So before I read verses 26 through 38, I want you to listen for these things, if you want to write them down. Listen for these things. Number one, Gabriel is a very busy angel, first of all. He just went to Zach- Zacharias, right? Very busy. Now he's sent to Mary, who is a virgin, and she's engaged. She's not even married yet, engaged to Joseph. Number two, it is revealed to her by Gabriel that she is special. Mary's special. She's favored. That, means, that word means like favored, chosen. Number three, she is going to be the mother of the son of the most high God. Right? The promised Messiah. So number four, Mary is perplexed. She doesn't totally understand the salutation or how God is going to do all of this or how that can happen as a version, but she knows that God has a plan. Gabriel actually says it. He says, for nothing will be impossible with God. That's a quote from Gabriel. So listen for all of that as I read and comment on verses 26 through 38. Starting at verse 26. Now, in the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city in Galilee called Nazareth to a virgin engaged to a man whose name was Joseph of the descendants of David. That's important, and the genealogies come later in our series and the virgin's name was Mary. And coming in, he said to her, "'Greetings, favored one, the Lord is with you.'" But she was very perplexed at this statement and kept pondering what kind of salutation this might be. She's thinking, what's this all about? And of course, it's an angel, so it's a very impressive individual. So it says, the angel said to her, what? Yeah, that's what angels say to people, because they're impressive individuals, right? Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. In other words, you're chosen. You're special. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall name him what? Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give him the throne of his father David. He's in the line of David. And he will reign over the house of Jacob forever and his kingdom will have no end. Mary said to the angel, how can this be since I am a virgin? Good question. Logical question. The angel answered and said to her, the Holy Spirit will come upon you. And the power of the Most High will overshadow you. And for that reason, for that reason, the Holy Child shall be called the what? Son of God. And behold, even your relative Elizabeth has also conceived a son in her old age and she who was called barren is now in her sixth month of what pregnancy exactly for nothing will be impossible for god and mary said behold the bond slave of the lord here i am lord may it be done to me according to your word and the angel departed from her well something i noticed right away is that mary never doubted Gabriel. Who did doubt Gabriel? Ah, Zacharias. She was all in. Mary was all in. She knew it was God's will for her life. And I'm not really sure how she knew that. You know how sometimes you know things, but you didn't really know you know things? You know, Something happens and you go, yeah, I think this is meant to be. I think that's the way it was for Mary. She trusted God completely and she submitted to her will. She says, behold the bond servant or slave of the Lord. May it be done to me according to your will in verse 39 mary decides to go and visit elizabeth who somehow seems to be a part of this amazing messianic miracle that is unfolding right before their eyes mary's related to elizabeth she's related that's what it says so no doubt she knew all about elizabeth she knew she was of quote advanced years right so you don't want to say old of advanced years she was bare, they had no children and they wanted children Mary, I'm sure, knew all of that. They were relatives. They talk. So Mary was excited, and she wanted to hear the whole story from Elizabeth. And no doubt, Mary wanted to tell Elizabeth everything that had happened to her. They wanted to compare notes, angel notes, right? What did he say to you? Oh, right? This is not a lot to talk about. They got a lot to talk about. So listen as I read 39 through 45. 39 through 45, if you got your Bibles with you. Now at this time, Mary arose and went in a hurry to the hill country, to the city of Judah, and entered the house of Zacharias and greeted Elizabeth. When Elizabeth heard Mary's greeting, the baby leaped in her womb, and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. When it says that, it says she cried out with a loud voice. When it says that, it means she's going to say something very prophetic. That's 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 a flag. Filled with the Holy Spirit, she's going to speak something prophetic. And so she went out with a loud voice and said, Blessed are you among women, she's saying to Mary, and blessed is the fruit of your womb. And how has it happened to me that the mother of my Lord would come to me? In other words, Mary is the mother of the Messiah. It's just this prophecy. For behold, when the sound of your greeting reached my ears, the baby leaped in my womb for, uh, for joy. And blessed is she who believed that there would be a fulfillment of what had been spoken to her by the Lord. She's talking about Mary's faith. Mary's faith. So Elizabeth is very excited to see Mary and obviously the baby John the Baptist is excited too because he did what? He leaped in the womb. So you see, Mary is special. Mary is blessed. And this is why she's special, okay? Think about this. Because of all the women, of all the women in the world who have ever lived back then, before, and now, of all the women in the world, she had been chosen. That's pretty special. To be the mother of the Messiah, the Lord, the Son of the Most High God. Of all women who have ever been. And when John jumps in the womb, Elizabeth is filled with the Holy Spirit and cries out with prophetic words about Mary and the baby Jesus in her womb. It is a fulfillment of the messianic prophecies of the Old Testament. This is why Luke has included all of this. This is why it's important. Let me stop right here and say that. He is very intentional about laying the prophetic groundwork for Theophilus and also for us. Also for us. Starting with Zacharias, Elizabeth, John's miracle birth, to become the Elijah figure who heralds the coming of the promised Messiah, just as it was foretold in Scripture. That's why it's there. It's very important, especially to all the the first Christians were all what? Jewish, yeah, the first church. There weren't any Gentiles as part of the first church. It was all Jewish. That's how it started. Luke is covering all his bases, checking all the boxes in his introduction of the Son of Man. So keep that in mind as we move through the next, uh, the first four chapters of Kata Lukan. Next, in verse 46 through 56, Mary recites her own psalm of praise to God. And I believe it's also prophetic, like a psalm um, of praise. Um, to all that God is doing. So let me read that real quick before we wrap up the message today with the birth of John the Baptist. So starting at verse forty six, it's a little bit shorter. This one's forty six, going to fifty six. It says, And Mary said, My soul exalts this somebody actually wrote a song about this. I can't remember who it was, my soul exalts the Lord, and my spirit has rejoiced in God my Savior. For he has regard for for he had regard for the humble state of his bond slave. For behold From this time on, all generations will count me blessed. For the mighty one has done great things for me. The holy one and holy is his name. And his mercy is upon generation after generation toward those who fear him. He has done mighty deeds with his arm. She's talking about the Lord now. He has scattered those who were proud in the thoughts of their heart. He has brought down rulers from their thrones. He has exalted those who were humble. He has filled the hungry with good things and sent away the rich empty handed. He has given help to his servant, to Israel, his servant in remembrance of his mercy. As he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham and to his descendants forever. And then it says this in verse 56, and Mary stayed with her about three months and then returned home. Can you believe that? Mary stops by for a weekend visit and stays for three months. Who has relatives like that? Raise your hand. We live by Disney World. People say, oh, we just thought we'd stop by for the weekend. They end up staying for weeks, right? So that's what Mary does. But what's kind of interesting, you remember when the angel said to Mary that Elizabeth has already been pregnant, what? She's in her what? Sixth month. Okay? So Mary goes, it says, immediately to her, and Mary stayed for three months, so maybe she stayed until John was born, I'm not sure. But following that extended stay, okay, in verses 57 through 66, John is born. And uh, as I read through this, I want you to listen for these things, okay? Listen for how John is named, the reactions of the people to his name, the reactions of the people, and how Zacharias is able to speak once again. And when that happens, listen for that. And his response to finally being able to speak. Listen to his response. So listen, here's 57 through 66. Okay. Now the time had come for Elizabeth to give birth. And she gave birth to a son. Her neighbors and her relatives heard that the Lord had displayed his great mercy toward her. And they were rejoicing with her. You remember she was in what? For five months, right? She was in seclusion, right? So maybe some people didn't know. And it happened that on the eighth day, they came to circumcise John, the child, and they were going to call him Zacharias after his father's names. But his mother answered and said, no, indeed, but he shall be called John. And they said to her, there is no one of your relatives who is called by that name. Now, um, this is important. They were like, why would you do that? Why would you name him John? Um, y'all know there's, there are traditions. Someone who was from Italian, they actually told me this. I don't know if it's true, but they said it's sort of a tradition for the first born of the first born son in the family to name them Anthony. Is that true? Is that true? Okay. Like that's a tradition. And also we name our children. Um, my kids have, uh, names from my, my, um, my family and Sandy's family. So it's a tradition thing. But it's these people who were here, they made signs to his father as to what he wanted because Zacharias, what? He couldn't, he can't talk because he didn't believe Gabriel. And so he asked for a tablet, okay, something to write on. And he wrote as follows. He says, his name is John. And they were all astonished that he didn't name him Zacharias. I mean, they're of advanced years. Why wouldn't you name your son after yourself? But well, we know why, right? Yeah, the angel said. Ah. And he, he's messed with the angel once before, and it, it did not go well. right? So he's like, oh, no, 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 no. It's John. It's going to be John. And at once, his mouth was opened, and his tongue loosed, and he began to speak in praise. So that was the result, when he was finally able to speak. Speak in praise. And fear came all over the... Li- um, Of all those living around them, and all these matters were being talked about in the hill country of Judea. All who heard them kept them in mind, saying, What then will this child turn out to be? Why? It was a miraculous birth, and all of the things, his not speaking and everything. For the hand of the Lord was certainly. Upon him, and the hand of the Lord was certainly upon him. And when Zacharias' tongue was loosed in 64, he began to speak praises to God, filled with the Holy Spirit. So, again, like a prophetic thing. And that's what I want to end up with today, which will get us through all 80 verses of the first chapter of the Gospel of Luke. That's a lot, isn't it? And that's what I thought. (laughs) Does this chapter ever end? You know, as I was doing my verse-by-verse study. And by the way, this is no extra charge. In other words, this is a freebie. Freebie fun fact. Okay, the Gospel of Luke is the longest book in the New Testament. Did you know that? Anybody know that? Longest book. I didn't know that. But when I saw it was so long, I said, I'm going to Google this. Right? And sure enough, 1,151 verses. It's the eighth longest book in the whole Bible. I'm thinking, why did I choose to do this? Right? This is long, and Luke chapter one is one of the longest, it is the longest chapter in the New Testament, 80 verses. So anyway, no extra charge. So to finish Luke chapter one, we will read Zacharias' praise to God about the coming Messiah and his newborn son, John, who will prepare the way for Jesus the Messiah, right? The Lord, the Lord. The one who would bring salvation to us and forgiveness of sins to us in a way that was never, ever before possible. The Son of God. The Son of God. So let me close. I'm running over. I'm sorry. Let me close by reading this. Starting at verse 67. And his father, Zacharias, John's father, filled with the Holy Spirit, prophesied, saying, Blessed be the Lord God of Israel, for he has visited us and accomplished redemption for his people and has raised up a horn of salvation for us. He's talking about Jesus. In the house of David, his servant. And he spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets from of old, salvation from our enemies and from the hand of all who hate us, to show mercy toward our fathers, And to remember his holy covenant, the oath which he swore to Abraham our father to grant us that we being rescued from the hand of our enemies might serve him without fear in holiness in holiness and righteousness before him all our days. And Jesus makes us what? Holy, we're saints, right? And righteous, he's talking about Jesus. And then he turns to John. He says, and you, child... John may have been right there. And you, child, will be called the prophet of the Most High. John. For you will go before the Lord to prepare his way. Who's that? Jesus. To give his people the knowledge of salvation by the forgiveness of their sins because of the tender mercy of our God with which, with, which the sunrise from, high, from on high will visit us. To shine on us. Listen to this. To shine upon those who sit in darkness and the shadow of death. Jesus also, he brought forgiveness, but he also brought what? Life. Life. To guide our feet into the way of peace. And the child continued, speaking of John again, the child continued to grow, to become strong in the spirit, and he lived in the deserts until the day of his public appearance in Israel. Would you pray with me? Lord, we thank you for these words of Luke. They're thought through. He took it upon himself. He felt it was fitting because of the skills that you had given him and his education and his abilities, um, his attention to detail, that he would compile this for us. And he would go to the eyewitnesses. He would read the other accounts. And he would do this uh, for Theophilus and for us. Lord, so we thank you for Luke. We thank you you wrote it down. Like I said last week, we thank you that he wrote it down. We thank you that we have it because of the hands of faithful people down through the centuries that have brought it to us. And we are grateful. God, I pray that you would help us um, through this study, throughout this study, throughout this year. Lord, to know a little bit more about you like Theophilus, to know, to know the exact truth about what you have done We pray in your name, Jesus, and all God's people can say, amen.